Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. And as you're looking it up, I do just want to touch on um, something my wife preached so brilliantly on last Sunday, which was on how unity precedes outpouring. How many of you were inspired, you were motivated to pursue unity with an increased passion? I am, I am, because I know unity precedes outpouring. And one of the things that was not necessary for her to touch on in Acts chapter one, but I just wanna draw your attention to for a moment, just for a moment, is the structural happening that took place in Acts chapter one as there was a need to replace Judas as one of the 12 apostles. Peter stood up in the upper room and he said, this is what scripture says. This is the will of God. We need to replace Judas with somebody else. And we got these two dudes right here, one named Matthias, the other named Justice. And so we are gonna pray and we're gonna uh, cast lots to figure out who's gonna be the 12th apostle. And I don't know if you've ever casted lots before, I have not. I've drawn straws, and I know next Sunday we got the Super Bowl where they're gonna do a coin flip on the 50-yard line to figure out who gets to choose whether they want the ball first. This is kind of the way that the 12th apostle was chosen. Isn't that crazy? Matthias, head or tails? Who's going to be the 12th apostle? That dude got a throne in heaven, man. That was a big coin flip, man. Now, if you keep reading throughout the book of Acts, you'll notice that this is not a practice that the New Testament church institutes. We don't see it happening again for the choosing of leadership. Therefore, we don't build a doctrine around it. Nonetheless, I did want to draw your attention to it because it's a structural component. And as a spirit-filled church, as a charismatic church, our eyes are often drawn to the spirit Hallelujah, the wine, but so often we gloss over the wine skin or the structure of how Jesus builds his church. And I wanna touch on that because right here in the beginning of Acts chapter one, Acts chapter two, not only do we see the outpouring of the wine, but we see the knitting together of the wine skin. We are a spirit-filled, theologically-minded church and we wanna be good church builders. Can I get two good amens? Amen. So I wanted to, Just reiterate that as we turn to Acts chapter two. If you are able, can you just stand to your feet? We're gonna read out loud Acts two, verse one through 13, all together as a family. So if you don't mind, just read the Bible with me. I'm gonna pause on a couple of occasions because there are some words that really stick out to me and I just wanna harp on them a little bit. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and Uh Uh-oh. Suddenly, 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 there came from heaven like a mighty rushing wind and it the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire. As of fire. They saw something. To them and rested on each one of them and they were all 
filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice it was not their mental faculty that provided the utterance. It was the Spirit of God that gave them the utterance to operate in the gift of speaking with other tongues as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse five, now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this the multitude came together because they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking uneducated Galileans? Now I put that word in there because that's what was implied by their question. These are unlearned Galileans. How would they be able to speak this wondrous message in our own language. Verse eight, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, and Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, and Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, y'all still with me? Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians. I don't I guess Cretans are from Greece, but I just can't help but to see like some kind of Star Trek character. Uh, and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They weren't, whew, they, they were prophesying. That was beautiful. Verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Well, what does this mean, church? That's an important question. Verse 13, but others mocking said they are filled with new wine. I wonder what they were doing. I wonder what they were doing, how they were acting so that people observed their behavior and said, they're drunk. And we, we, we're going to get to a little bit of Peter's response next Sunday. But for now, what I'd like to do is give you guys three marks of revival today. That's the title of the message, three marks of revival. I'm not suggesting there's only three, but I'm gonna give you three from Acts chapter two, verse one through 13 today. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your son. Thank you, Jesus, for your spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us today and marking us with your presence. Your faithfulness is so evident and we love to be with you. We ask that you would stretch our capacity for learning today and stretch open wide our spirit to receive your seed. Supplant into us, God, all that you desire for us to carry. We belong to you. We are your sons and your daughters. We rejoice in you and we thank you for your everlasting word and covenant. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. amen. Give three people a high five and tell them revival. It's what we're going after. Hallelujah. All right, all right, all right. So let me give you a little context here. Uh, in Acts chapter two, we see the church, the whole church assembled in one upper room and the congregation was not very large at the time. It was only 120 people. And what happens is that they meet the Holy Spirit of God in a new way for the very first time. On this day, we see a new church having a new spiritual experience with the Holy Spirit. 
What had happened was the church had obeyed Jesus, gone to Jerusalem, and waited for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus called the promise of the Father. And on day 10, it came in suddenly. Now, if you've been around for a little bit, you know we are pursuing a suddenly. We are pursuing God coming down in our midst and unleashing a revival, a spiritual renewal, a spiritual refreshing in this community. And I don't know how long we're going to have to wait on that. I don't know. I have no idea. But I do know that we want to obey Jesus and we want to stay patient and we want to continue to press in. And we do not want to grow weary in well-doing because we know if we continue to press in, we will reap a harvest in due time. I told Team Church this uh, on this past Wednesday, do not grow weary in pressing in for revival. I know in January, we got very excited about revival. We did a corporate fast where so many of us, we did not eat for 14 days. We assembled here for 10 nights, basically straight, and we interceded and we petitioned and we prophesied and we went after God and we asked for revival. And then on Saturday, we did a 12-hour prayer meeting and there was a number of you that were here the entire time and you prayed for a full 12 hours. Thank you for that. You know we're pursuing revival. I mean, we got little wristbands that say revival on them. They're blue for the blue flame of holiness. You... Y'all remember our prayer? Jesus, send revival to your church. Renew us and our families. Give us zeal for your house. It's all important, but that's my favorite part. Bring us into the Jerusalem hub. We're believing God for a new facility, for a new space. Jesus, send revival to your church. Renew us and, and our families. Give us zeal for your house and bring us into the Jerusalem hub. We are excited about revival, but I do not want you to get fatigued pressing in for it. I know it's February now. You've kind of set your year in, in place and you're developing a rhythm. But the word that I gave the team church was, we are pursuing in prayer. This is our theme over February, the relentless pursuit of revival. I don't know how long we're going to have to wait, church. I don't know and I don't I don't know when an and suddenly is going to happen when we're going to show up here on a Sunday and God's going to do something that just blows our whole grid. I don't know when that will be, but I do know that it will be worth it when it happens. When we get what God has for us, everything that we paid to get there will pale in comparison to what we receive when he pours out. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm hungry for more of God. Anybody else in the room? Well, here's what Jesus said would happen to the disciples when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Acts chapter one, verse eight. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Church, the power is worth the wait. I don't know about you, but I know I need the power. Power is exactly what the early church received. So the question I, I ask myself this week is that if the early church walked in this much power, what is the problem with the modern church? Where is the power? 
Do we not have the same Holy Spirit? Of course we do. But Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we get power. So how do we explain our powerlessness? I'm not suggesting we don't have the Holy Spirit, but perhaps we've settled for far less than what Jesus has promised us. Have we been obedient as the disciples were? Have we waited long enough? Have we tarried in the upper room of prayer? Is the Holy Spirit just in us because we are saved, but not on us because we've lost the fear of the Lord? Just questions, worthy questions. As I read Acts chapter two, I'm, I'm, I'm convicted and the early church incriminates the modern church. Where's the power? Where's the power to do great exploits? The three marks of revival are this. When the Holy Spirit arrives, we see supernatural heavenly power poured out through number one, sounds, number two, sights, and number three, speeches. These are the three marks of revival that I want to hit on. Sounds, sights, and speeches. I believe, and this is the pastoral part of this message, I believe that we should expect each of these marks of revival in our environment in the near future. I'm sharing this with you now to prepare you for it when it shows up. None of these marks are new. In fact, they're not only old, but they are ancient, as you will see shortly. Any serious student of the Bible will see the marks and know they are familiar, but just because they're familiar does not mean that they won't be weird. Look at your neighbor and tell him, revival is weird. <laughs> revival is weird. Did you know if you look up the word weird in the dictionary, it will show you a synonym, which is this, supernatural. Another word for weird, according to the dictionary, is literally supernatural. Revival is weird because revival is supernatural. Revival being weird could be one of the reasons that some churches, and I'm not lobbing any stones, would rather not have revival. Because it's weird. It doesn't fit into their predictable boxes. It doesn't fit into the flow or the schedule, and they cannot control it. Ecclesiastes chapter eight, verse eight, asks the question, can any man hold the wind? It's a fruitless effort trying to control the Holy Spirit. We don't have authority over the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has authority over the church. We can't control the Spirit, but we surely can grieve the Spirit. We can't control the Holy Spirit, but Paul says we can surely quench the Holy Spirit. We grieve and we quench the Holy Spirit when we oppose what the Spirit wants to do individually and corporately. When we don't allow the Spirit to lead us, the Spirit lets us lead us. And that's very dangerous. This will be my third time saying this and nobody's believed me up to this point. But you know one place that I will not be bossed around? My own house. Like I said, nobody's believed me up until this point. They just look at Allison. <laughs> They're like, yeah, right, bro. But she knows I always get the last word in. It's usually, yes, dear. But as a man, you know, 
ho, ho, uh, as I'm the head of my house, right? And so if there's any place, where's the men at in here? I ain't going to be bossed around. It's going to be in my own house. You know what I'm saying? I'm the king of my domain, right? And yet, we do that to God all the time. We come into his house and we boss him around. Here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're not going to do. Here's what I'm comfortable with. Here's what I'm not comfortable with. Never mind the fact that it's your house. I'm in charge around here. And then we wonder how does the Holy Spirit not show up continually in his own house? Perhaps we've grieved him. Perhaps we've quenched him. Perhaps although we're saying it with our lips, we want you to show up Holy Spirit in our hearts. They're far from him and we don't actually want him to show up because when the Spirit shows up, he messes with the set list. He messes with the service flow. He messes with the time clock. He messes with the parking lot. There's implications to this. He messes with the toilets in the lobby because so many people are using them that there's a collapse in the drain underneath the parking lot that's going to cost God knows how much money to fix. But you know, revival is spelled W-O-R-K. It's part of it. It's just part of it. And it's not controllable. We don't want to control it. It's like whenever Jesus went to visit his two friends, Martha and Mary. Martha said, come in, Jesus. Come in, Jesus. Jesus comes in. He sits down and then Martha rebukes him. Get up, Jesus. Speak to Mary, Jesus. Make her get up, Jesus. Don't you see? Starts complaining. I'm doing all the work around here, serving it up. Right? She was complaining. She was upset. Invited Jesus in, but when he got in, rebuked him. Who are we to try and control the Holy Spirit in his own house? Any human that determines to take authority from God in his own house is not a human I want to be standing next to whenever God determines to release the judgment that begins at the house of God. I won't be next to him, Ben, when they're vaporized. When the earth opens up and they fall into it, I don't want to be standing next to them. It's jokes. It's jokes. Our goal, maybe, yeah. Uh, our goal... <laughs> all, all of our staff kids they were throwing up like on before right before team they're all puking it was terrible except for our kids because our kids got it two weeks ago but I was making a joke about being a priest in the old testament I filled a censer with incense and I ran between the living and the dead my kids didn't get it <laughs> jokes 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 pastor jokes. Everybody's like, what? I don't even remember that. Don't worry. We're going to get to it in a few months in our Bible reading plan. Um, Our goal, our goal must be to respond to Jesus, to respond to the Holy Spirit the same way that the 120 responded to Jesus. We wait and we participate. We wait and we participate. We wait and we participate. We wait on the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our midst. And when he does it, we get involved in it. We don't judge it. We get involved in it. When the pool of Bethesda is stirred, we jump in because we want to be a part of what Jesus is doing here. Now, before I unpack the marks of revival from Acts chapter two, at least the three that I've got for you, 
I want to again remind you of my wife's message from last week is that unity precedes outpouring. And so as we go after the Holy Spirit pouring out over us, there is going to be moments guaranteed whenever you will sense as a member of the congregation or as a team leader or as a servant leader that the Holy Spirit wants to do something that the leaders of the house don't do in the moment. We're not always going to get it right. Somebody's going to transition when we could have sang longer. Somebody's going to sing longer when we could have transitioned. But what I ask you to do is keep your soapboxes small and get rid of any right that you feel you have to be the only person in the room that the Holy Spirit can speak through and let us do our best as a family to navigate the cloud by day and the fire by night and say, we want to be around God. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. We're sensitive. We're urgent about it. We're severe about it. And it doesn't matter what it looks like. As long as we get him, we're good with it. Now, we're not always going to get it right, but that doesn't mean we've grieved or quenched the spirit. What I can tell you is as the pastor here, we'll never do those two things on purpose. I can't guarantee we won't do them by accident, but when that happens, we'll repent. So as we pursue revival, I'm asking you guys for two things. I'm asking you for trust and I'm asking you for grace. Everybody say, you got it. Okay, here's the three marks of revival. Now, when we look at these three marks, I want you to understand that each and every one of these marks were not only heard, they were also seen. Everybody say here. Everybody say see. Every single mark is both heard and seen. Whenever the physician... Luke, who was an attendant to Paul and wrote the book of Acts, as well as the same gospel that bears his name, opened Acts. He says, here you go, O Theophilus. Previously, I wrote to you a book. That's the gospel of Luke. And embedded within that book was everything that Jesus began to do. Everybody say, see. See. And teach. Everybody say, hear. That's what Jesus came to do. Not just to give us a presentation of the gospel, but to show us a demonstration of the gospel. He didn't come just with a PowerPoint. He came with power. That's what he came to do. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus tells us, you will be my witnesses. What have witnesses done? They have both seen something and they have heard something. What a witness does is a witness testifies. We have a testimony. You ever shared your testimony with someone? That's you being a witness. A witness is somebody who has seen something, which is why whenever they call uh, a witness to the witness stand, they expect an eyewitness testimony. They're not asking for your testimony on secondhand information. They want to know what have you seen? And I think we have too many people in the church trying to give a testimony without having seen something themselves. Well, I can tell you what God did for my dad. Well, that's great. I'm thankful that God did something awesome for your dad, me too, but I want God to do something awesome for me. I want to see it. I want to witness it. I want to be an eyewitness. I want to say, no, I can say, I've seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, I just heard about it. And I think I live amongst the generation of people who are tired of just hearing good messages, good sermons, good podcasts, reading good books, good posts, good blogs, whatever, good tweets, good Instagram posts. Like, it's awesome. I want it. I want to keep reading. I'm a student, but I want to see something. How about you? I want to see something. And that's what Jesus did for everybody. And as a result, the witness then testifies, they teach, they preach, and that has to do with our hearing. So that's number one. Number one is sounds. Number one is sounds. Three marks of revival. Number one is sounds. Revival sounds like something. And I'll say this, revival's not quiet. Now, I'm not saying we won't have moments of silence. 
But what we won't have is quiet indifference. You know, silence is spiritual. Quietness can be achieved in the flesh, but in order to achieve silence, it has to be done in the spirit. Silence is actually the result of abundance. So there's going to be some moments, I can promise you this, there's going to be some moments whenever the room just goes. We just call that a holy hush. It's just going to be silent. Not quiet, not quiet indifference, not casual quietness. Like, oh, I, just, I don't really care, you know. No, no, I'm talking about silence. The spirit is moving. God's pouring out. It's not indifference. But in Acts 2, there was a suddenly, and it wasn't quiet. It was a sound from heaven, like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house. Yeah. A sound came from heaven. Notice the sound was not man-made and it did not come from earth. It literally came from another dimension. It was like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house. If you look at other translations, you'll see that the Bible refers to it as a violent wind. Do you know what a violent wind is by definition? A tornado. I don't know if you've ever been locked up in the same bedroom as a tornado, but I would have to think that that would feel quite dangerous and be very loud. In fact, I did look up how loud a tornado is. It's 130 decibels loud, which is like standing next to a freight train as it goes by, which is also like standing next to a jet engine as it turns on, which is also like standing next to a gun as it goes off. I would have to think that it would shake every single aspect of their senses like, oh, that's a a sound I never heard before. It is a sound from heaven that takes place. It is a mighty rushing wind and we don't see wind, we hear wind. And as I said, this is not a new mark. It's an ancient mark. Wind has long since been used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel chapter 37, God spoke to the prophet and he said, I want you to prophesy to what? The four winds. I want you to prophesy to the wind. I want you to speak to the wind. And what happened? As Ezekiel prophesied to the wind, the wind of God, which is actually the breath of God, comes into that valley of dry bones and we see a revival take place because an army that was once dead becomes a living, mighty army again as a result of the wind of the Spirit blowing, the breath of God filling them and then being revived and becoming a living army again. I believe, guys, that the church is in desperate need of the wind. We're in desperate need of the spirit. We're in desperate need of the breath of God. We need to, that breath, that's where the life is. That's where the life is. It's in the breath. It's in the wind. Did you know that every single human being is going to say the name of God when they're born and when they die? Yahweh. The name of God is in the breath. Even an atheist is going to say the name of God before they pass on into eternity. Every knee will bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. We are in desperate need of the wind. The wind is the breath of God. God's life is in the breath just as he picked up our first dad, Adam. From the dust, what did he do? He breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam. And I believe that we need God to blow into the nostrils of the church. We need God's life. 
When we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive the wind of God. We receive the breath of God. We receive the life of God and it fills us. Then if, if another word for the Spirit is wind, we can say that the Holy Spirit is a holy wind. New Testament would be pneuma, wind is spirit. Uh, in the Old Testament would be ruach, right? That's why I named, we named our daughter Ruach. She, her name literally is spirit, breath, wind. And she was born in 2020 whenever COVID was trying to steal everybody's breath. Prophetically, God named her Ruah. She is the breath of God. She's the life of God. And whenever she was born, what happened? They said, oh, she can't breathe good. But we know. No, 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 no. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. And she come out and now she's full of life. Praise God. We need fresh Wind, we need the breath of God. We need the life of God. We need the holy wind of God. Number two, sights. Number two is sights. Revival looks like something. Revival goes beyond natural sounds and sights into supernatural sounds and supernatural sights. And we may not see physical fire upon people's foreheads like they did in the New Testament. In Acts 2, that never happened again in the New Testament. I mean, I'm not going to rule it out. I'd certainly welcome it. It would be crazy. But come on, the sound of a violent wind would also be just as weird. And then you see a fire descend into the room and then it starts to separate and then portions of this like flickering fire, that's what we say, cloven tongues as a fire, it's just a flickering flame. And then it goes and it rests over the heads of every single person in the room, which is actually quite amazing. It wasn't just the apostles that it rested on. It wasn't just the pastors or the leaders. It wasn't just on Mary, the mother of Jesus. It was on everybody who obeyed, everybody who waited. Spirit wasn't a respecter of persons. He said, if you want it, you got it. I'm going to pour out over you. And that's what they saw. And it was supernatural. You cannot remove the supernatural from the book of Acts. If you do, you no longer have a book. You have a pamphlet. There's so much supernatural stuff happening on the onset of the church. Acts 2, 3. And divided tongues as a fire appeared, appeared. Keyword, appeared. They saw something. Remember, revival is marked by sights. Just as we hear the wind, we see the fire. And just like with the wind, the fire is actually an ancient symbol of the Holy Spirit. Think back, Exodus chapter three, you've got Moses wandering in the desert. He happens upon a bush that is burning and the fire does not go out. He's then apprehended by the spirit of God, called into the priesthood in a sense. And what does God speak to him from the fire? You are standing on? Whenever you see fire, you know holiness is right behind it. Everyone in the upper room literally saw fire. The church is desperate for the fire. Again, the holy fire, fire burns, fire purifies as John the Baptist prophesied about his cousin. Jesus surely would bring us a baptism of fire because fire burns up what is unnecessary and the things in our lives that does not bring God glory. That's why when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive the fire of God, which is the holiness of God and it is the purity of God and it fills us up. So if spirit is another word for wind, holy is another word for fire. So in the same way we could say, okay, the Holy Spirit could be the holy wind, we could also say that the Holy Spirit could be the holy fire. And when you combine wind and you combine fire and you put the two of them together, you got a dangerous combination. 
Yeah, you, you, you ever seen, you know, the news, the wildfires that break out? The wind comes along, there's a windstorm, whips up the fire, and all of a sudden, the fire's moving faster than anybody can control, and what happens to everything that's in its path? Full consumption, and that's what happens to you when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's full consumption, it's complete possession by the power of the Holy Spirit. That holy fire comes upon your life. And I've been leaning into this all week, asking God the question, what does it look like to be completely consumed by the fiery wind of the Holy Spirit? I don't know. It's probably weird because it's supernatural, but I do want it and I am hungry for it because I want all that you have for me and I want all that you have for this church. Anybody else in the room? Well, that leads us to number three, last one, speeches. Speeches. Revival releases a word from God. Revival releases a word from God, verse four. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened? They began to overflow, speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You guys now know, I've been talking about the wineskin for a little bit. You now know that the church is a wineskin. But did you also know that you are a wineskin? God knit you together in your mother's womb and he builds the things he wants to fill. He wants to fill you with himself. He wants to give you his breath. He wants to give you his fire. He wants to give you his spirit. He wants to give you his holiness. He wants to fill you to a place of overflow so that as you walk in what he's called you to walk in, you spill out and onto other people. When God pours into you, he does not consider you to be full until you're overflowing. God calls overflowing full. And until we're overflowing, we're not full. I would, I I mean, this is just me. It's just my opinion. I'd go so so far as to say full is empty and overflowing is full. (laughs) Is the glass half empty or half full? It's got to be overflowing in the spirit. When I was a kid, I, you know, I grew up in Kentucky. We had full service gas stations in Kentucky. And um, I remember as a kid it, being in the car with my dad and pulling up to the gas station, rolling down the window. He said, fill her up. Yeah. You ever heard that before? Yeah. Fill her up. How much you want? Fill her up. <laughs> and if you watch the gas station attendant closely, whenever the tank is full, they round up, right? So like, Anybody else do that? All the dads in the room, you're like, I want it to be exact. What kind of psychopath just lets it go? (laughs) On some random number. You know what I mean? You do that? That's like people who put the milk in before the cereal. It's like a, it's crazy. You know what I mean? So like, I remember that as a kid and they always like, they just kind of round off, right? But whenever God pours into you, he doesn't round up. He keeps going until you're overflowing. And to use that picture, here's what it would look like to be filled by the Holy Spirit in the same way that you pump your gas. It's like, okay, it's full. And then you hammer down all the more on the handle until gas, that flammable gas is just pouring out onto the parking lot. And the Lord's like, okay, it's full. That's weird. But that's what God says is full. Whenever God anoints somebody in the Bible, he don't bring a little vial with a rollerball. 
from Young Living. You know what I'm saying? I like Young Living. That's what I'm saying. But be blessed. No, no. Whenever he anoints somebody in the Bible, he fills a horn of oil. Like we're talking like gallons. Just filled, filled, filled. And like after you got anointed, like your sandals would be filled with so much oil. You'd be sloshing around for the rest of the day because you're not full until you're overflowing from God's perspective. That's what happens. That's how he works. Psalm 23, verse five, you anoint my head with oil and what happens? My cup overflows. You're not full till you're overflowing. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter two. They got so full of the Holy Spirit, they started overflowing and the Holy Spirit found his way out of their mouths. And as it began to come out, they began to speak with other tongues and there was a manifestation of overflow and a supernatural miracle took place in the mouth of the church. Isn't that amazing? God redeems Babel. Where he touched them and confused the language, and then he touched them and brought them together. And there's a redemption, there's a miracle that takes place in the mouth. They're overflowing. It's just, it's flowing out of them. It's a speech. It's why Corey Russell's definition of revival includes the release of apostolic preaching because when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we naturally testify because the Holy Spirit wants to make us witnesses. People who say something, not preaching the gospel is not a personality issue, it's a fullness issue. Church, we cannot settle for full heads of information. We need an overflow of revelation that comes from the Holy Spirit that spills out of the upper room and onto the nations. I'm gonna give you one more scripture that I didn't give any other service because I, I gotta close at a certain time. That's why this is my favorite service. So keep coming back. First Kings chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. I didn't, I didn't show this to anybody else. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show it to you. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and there was a great and strong wind, Right? Hear sounds. It tore the mountains, broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. See sights, there it is. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. There we have the three markings all the way back in First Kings as revealed to the prophet Elijah. And where was the spirit resting the most profoundly? In the speech. He's in the wind, he's in the fire, not in this particular case, but in Acts chapter two. But where is he most profoundly? The spirit is in the speech. God wants us to hear him move. He wants us to see him move, but he also wants to move through us. And here's where he starts our speech. The very first supernatural occurrence in the New Testament church was the Holy Spirit transforming the way that the church speaks. Mark 16, 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They're going to drive out demons and they will speak in new tongues. Remember what James said about the tongue? It is an untamable fire. That's why we need the fire of the Holy Spirit to fill us so that God can tame the untamable, the uncontrollable human tongue. The first miracle on the first day of the early church took place in the mouth. And they spoke as the Spirit provided utterance and as they spoke, it was not a miracle of hearing, it was a miracle of speaking. And what happened? There were 17 regions, countries, places, people groups that were named. And at the time, this was all of the known world. 
So as a precursor to the fulfillment of the Great Commission, that the Spirit would make us witnesses and that we would testify to the goodness of God in Christ Jesus through what He's accomplished to us, through us, throughout the entirety of the world. That's what happens right there on the initiation of the first day of the church. The gospel goes forth to all of the known world. And that's still the plan of God, that he would work here and that that overflow would lead to our witnessing and that we wouldn't stay in the upper room, but we'd spill out onto the temple courts and we see religion reformed and the church transformed and the city transformed and every aspect of human society transformed as it is touched by the powerful wind, fire and message of the word of God. Last thing I want to say, whenever we were having uh, prayer nightly throughout the fast, um, I really felt strongly from the Lord that what would mark this revival would be our evangelism efforts. Now, I know that may seem a little crazy because I don't even know what that means. I just heard the Spirit say, you want depth, I want width. You want to go deep, I want you to go wide. I want you to go get as many people and bring them to the banquet as you possibly can. I don't have a strategy. I don't know if it's a program. I don't know if it's just equipping us as individuals, but I do know that there is something about evangelism and us being witnesses that is connected to the revival that we're crying out to God for. It's so much easier to crowd in here than it is out there. It's so much easier to come in here and be like, touch me, Lord, than it is to go out there and say to somebody else, you need a touch from the Lord. We obviously do it in kindness, we do it in love. No, I'm not trying to like be too intense, but that's what I feel from the Holy Spirit. So these are the three marks of revival. They are sounds, they are sights, and they are speeches. Can we stand? Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking about John chapter 14. I think it's 14, 17. Whenever Jesus talked about, you've got the spirit with you, but, you, but, but then you're going to have the spirit in you. Yes. Did you know every single prophet in the Old Testament looks at your position today with jealousy? Yeah. They prophesied about a time when the Holy Spirit would not just come upon an individual momentarily, but when the Holy Spirit would take up residence in an individual permanently. And we are those people. We now have what they prophesied about and what a blessing it is. And we say, thank you for it, God. Thank you for this down payment we've received on eternity, the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Thank you that... Not only did you create a wineskin called the church, but you knit us together and we are a wineskin. God, forgive us for the moments in which we've resisted your outpouring and are not full. Lord, we don't want to be like Laodicea. We don't want to be lukewarm. We don't want to be just substandard, mediocre church. God, we want to press in for more and we're hungry for more. We're thirsty for more. We want the fire. We want the wind. We want the supernatural. We want healings. We want miracles. We want signs. We want wonders. We want all of those things as a church. And we say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We don't want to grieve you. We don't want to quench you. There may be some moments where we make a mistake. It's an accident, but our hearts, God, we ask you to forgive us. We ask you to help us, give us grace so that we can navigate this with the sensitivity that you require and that you desire. We ask you, Holy Spirit, help us. Mark us today, Holy Spirit, as revivalists. Mark us as carriers. 
carriers, carriers of the DNA of revival, God, that it would be found in our bloodstreams, that this is who we are. Even if we're persecuted for your namesake, that what spills out is a DNA for revival, a seed of revival that would go forth into many nations and make a difference for the kingdom come. Lord, we ask you that you would ruin us for nominal Christianity, that you would destroy any mindset that we have that says this is enough because we're as on fire as our friends are. We'll, it'll not be enough in Jesus' name until we are as on fire as you are on fire. And God, you are an all-consuming fire. We know that that's true about you. I, I want to be that red hot, you know. Um, I got to be finished, but, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they got thrown into a fiery furnace and they weren't consumed. Why is that? Because what was in them was hotter than what was happening around them. Right? What happens to us when we're thrown into the fiery furnace of the culture, of the culture wars, you know, whatever it might be, the problem of the day, we must be burning hotter. Yes. We, we must be burning hotter than that so that we're not affected. If our God is an all-consuming fire, that means heaven's hotter than hell. What we have, we can't put our light under a bushel. We have to let it shine. We have to let it out. We have to... Say, God, okay, I'll go to overflow. But you know what? All of them yielding to overflow led in what could have been their embarrassment. I think Bill said, the more of God will only cost you your dignity. You know, <laughs> what is it going to look like for people to point at you and say, is that guy drunk? Is that girl been drinking? It's 10 a.m. What's going on? They seem crazy. Wow. You know, we've pursued the Holy Spirit to a place of overflow. And, that, and that's who we are, Lord. Jesus, send revival to your church. Renew us in our families. Give us zeal for your house and bring us into the Jerusalem hub. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen and amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.